for some reason as an intro song for this episode, I kind of want to play karaoke by Lizzo. Maybe it's because of the later discussion around women's health, but I don't know. Anyways. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tripping While Walking. For my loyal listeners, you already know what this is about. But for the newcomers, this is a relaxed podcast that looks into emerging consumer trends and disruptive companies that are looking to capitalize on these trends and fill new white spaces that are popping up. Whether these white spaces are from increased consumer education, technological advancements, socio-political climate shifts, etc., it's just a fun way to hear about some new things that are impacting us on an everyday basis. Today's episode is, in my opinion, pretty fun and very 21st century. Today's episode is about the gamification of the consumer and retail sector. To be honest, this episode makes me feel a little old. It really did take me some time to understand some of the nuances behind the video games, the character skins, new concepts like NFTs, etc. Nonetheless, it's really interesting to see how technology is now shaping industries past the crazy way we thought originally. Like, in the last episode, we talked about technology enabling new methods of product discovery, education, and even purchasing, like SMS purchasing. But Honestly, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Technology is also opening a whole new realm of marketing, reaching new demographics, and even potentially creating a new way for companies themselves to actually create content. Okay, so roadmap. First, we'll talk about the general gamification trend, what that means and what that looks like as a business strategy. And then, duh, of course, some real business case studies. Then we'll talk about an example of a company that is doing a good job of capitalizing on this trend, Top Hatter, and then an example of a company or an example of an attempt, really, at gamification that was not very successful. Then a little of my speculation on two companies that I think should be on people's radars as they develop and could potentially capitalize on this trend. Spoiler, those two companies are a company called Myro and Peanut. Finally, we'll go just past the gamification of the consumer and retail space and look at actual consumer and retail games. In this, we'll talk about some of the luxury brands that are making their own video games, entering the world of NFTs, and actually also partnering with major video games like Fortnite. All right, turn up the volume, get in a comfy chair, or head out for a nice walk because this episode is going to be a good one. So, stop number one. What do we mean by the gamification of the consumer and retail space? Gamification means basically just applying gaming concepts to everyday activities. It's creating challenges and rules for consumers to navigate in order to get a prize or reach a goal. An easy concept, so not really much more explaining to do here, but what it does do for companies is develop an ongoing customer relationship and create these additional positive touch points between the brand and the consumer. This idea is all fun and games, until someone sets some KPIs, then it becomes a business strategy. So let's talk about the gamification market as a whole, because Not to get too technical, but to understand the general market that a certain trend falls into is especially important. Some fancy guys even use terms like TAM to evaluate basically this. According to research conducted by Epsilon, 
the gamification market is expected to grow by 25% from 2020 to 2025. Additionally, gamification increases customer acquisition by around 700%, which seems a bit high to me, but who am I to argue? That's what the numbers say. And also, it raised engagement and loyalty by about 30% for specific brands like Walgreens and eBay. But even given these metrics, about 80% of companies are actually currently underutilizing gamification, which isn't really that surprising because if you think about it, this is probably because the term gamification itself isn't fully understood or calibrated, really. When a lot of these companies think about gamifying their engagement, companies think that it means launching a new app or an actual video game, but it doesn't always have to be this extensive. It could even mean just making simpler interactions part of an existing application, website, or even software. It could be simply on add-ons like badges or progress updates or even challenges just for customers to get more involved. The exponential growth in smartphones and mobile tablets has already created a very strong base for the gamification market, as well as the general recognition that gamification is good to induce innovation, productivity, and engagement. The shift of consumers and employees away from desktops and towards phones creates this more executable platform for companies to easily capture consumer interest and increase conversion and usage rates. Additionally, this new advent of an integration with social media has allowed for this increased connectivity and ability to share experiences with users and friends, which is accelerating the gamification trend. So deliberate systems can use these types of gamified platforms to, as we mentioned before, interact with consumers as well as market that actual interaction or brand at the same time. So part of the appeal of gamification is that it gets intensely personal and allows these companies to intertwine and encode personalization into the very DNA of their engagement strategy. Customers are more likely to make a purchase when brands offer a personalized experience, which we've talked about in the past multiple times about Hawthorne, Mira, etc. But this not only helps general customer acquisition, but also feeds into a higher repeat or return customer rate. So gamifying reduces the need to spend on consumer acquisition, but also helps increase the customer's lifetime value by providing brands with increasing amount of data on their customers. So Companies can use this data for future personalization and messages to upsell and cross-sell, so it becomes somewhat of a cyclic cycle. So the next question is, how can companies effectively integrate gamification into their strategy? Well, they do have to be careful in towing the line between engaging videos and not being too cheesy. But engaging videos or just engaging platforms or ideas in general, but There are some unique ways in which companies could achieve this. Uh, To name a few, interactive videos, so a video that links directly to a website or to a virtual cart. A company could, I don't know, have quizzes, so they could increase their click-through rate, completion rates, um, and get data collection on kind of what the customers are liking and taking to their shopping cart but not actually buying, or just data like this. You could also gamify rewards. So you could have engaging loyalty programs that go beyond generic rewards and instead be personalized based on past behaviors or customer interests. These are some of the ways that companies can gamify their brand, but there is now even an actual term for this specific type of gamification. All right, so add this to your dictionary. Pro-gamification. 
PRO, P-R-O, stands for Personalized Retail Omnichannel Gamification. The best way to explain this concept is to paint a little picture. Imagine it's a rainy day and you're sitting on your couch scrolling through Instagram. You see a dress that your friend liked that you think is pretty cute too. So you download the app, get the 10% first-timers discount, compare prices, click the dress, take it to your shopping cart, but then when it actually comes time to click purchase, you don't. Flash forward to the weekend and you're walking through a local mall and you pass by some retailer physical location as the one that you saw online. And as you pass by this location, you actually get an alert on your phone for another discount if you play a game through the app. Cue the AR buddy that creates an interactive VR game, similar to Pokemon Go, or just any sort of interactive quiz or something to kind of get the customer engaged into the physical location as well as the app that they're already on. So let's say you play this game, and through this game you get a $20 off coupon, no questions asked. And at the same time, you see other clothes that you were interested in, and when you put them in your shopping cart, you see the dress that you already put in previously. So although you were unsure of it beforehand, these experiences and engagement solidified your purchasing decision. This is pro-gamification. When a user logs into an app or interacts with the software, the company's back-end services platform starts to track your shopping experience. All the analytical engines and business intelligence services work together to identify what type of shopper you are. So maybe you're more price sensitive, you're very material sensitive, etc. And cater to your needs. They cater their promotions and ads towards what they think you would want to see. Yes, it's a little creepy, but it does open a new realm of understanding and utilizing customer data to enable customized gamification. So that's pro-gamification, but one thing that's interesting about gamification as a whole and why it would be appealing to a new generation of shoppers is that, in general, it feeds well into the lowered attention span that customers now have. Modern consumers are short on time, especially when it comes to digesting information and discerning what is the right product for them. This gamified system of rewarding consumers not only caters to their attention span, but also keeps them engaged and creates a positive sentiment and impact and thus engendering a positive relationship between the brand and the customer. So big data that comes from these gamifications can help to create 360 customer profiles, customer-centric KPIs, to eventually develop targeted offers and promotions and ads. So now that we kind of get it, we get gamification, let's really hone it in by talking about a company that is doing very well at capitalizing on this gamification strategy, Top Hatter. So what is Top Hatter? Top Hatter is a, I feel like I've said Top Hatter like a thousand times now, but (laughs) it's a discovery commerce channel for mobile that connects buyers and sellers around the world and fast and real-time auctions. The company leverages their expanding data collection for merchandising and personalization, where nearly every item sells within 90 seconds. So who is their predecessor? Well, you might have heard of it. eBay. eBay has actually been the world's most popular online marketplace for years. It has, I think, around 170 million active buyers and generates an annual net revenue of around $9 billion, something minuscule like that. <laughs> But what's less commonly known is that eBay actually originally had an auction feature, which used to be one of its core functions and it's one of its big selling points. But it's actually currently being used by less than 15% of its platform users. 
Because of this, the company has been really focusing on and promoting its traditional marketplace model since 2008. And it's really been focusing on just improving the search ranking algorithm and all aspects focused on the traditional marketplace model. This pivot and focus resulted in a pretty big drop in auction-type listings, just naturally. But this left a hole in the online auction marketplace niche for another player to swoop in and cater to this big audience that we're waiting to have a solution to provide to them. So, enter Top Hatter in 2012, which has now raised about $21 million to date and in 2019 actually raised senior debt with Armentum Partners. So, a side note that's something I'm starting to realize is it's really hard to find recent financials for these non-public companies. I, I know that through banking that it's usually typical, typically hard to find nuanced info, but it's just a side note to preface the information that I use to back up a lot of my claims on this podcast is I am a detective, but my really only magnifying glass is Google Chrome. So anyways, back to the regularly scheduled programming. The, the thing that makes this interesting, Top Hatter that is, is that per 2017, Top Hatter is actually profitable. While most companies actually struggle to turn concept to strong revenue, Top Hatter earned $40 million in 2016. I was graduating high school at that time, so it seems a bit of dated info, but again, working with what we got. So let's speculate what features and unique attributes helped to make this startup profitable, while other companies with similar shared economy platforms, like Uber, took a lot longer. So one, it's a niche audience. It targets millennials and offers goods in several categories like apparel, jewelry, clothes, beauty, and electronics. That's one way why Top Hatter could be well-positioned. A second is just the nature of what Top Hatter is. It's flash auctions. Each auction has a time limit of 90 seconds, which caters to the short attention span of millennials, as mentioned before in the market research portion. Additionally, it offers advanced personalization. Because this platform is tech-enabled, it uses smart algorithms and machine learning to customize the user experience and provide relevant offers. Again, what we talked about in the market research portion, but this is the personalization factor that customers and consumers are increasingly demanding from their search engines, product discovery, DTC companies, etc. Also, Top Hatter is a mobile-first strategy. They have a web platform, but contrary to eBay, this company is focusing on the mobile avenue rather than the web traditional one. And finally, it's a very gamified and fun application. The company is focused strategically on having a unique UI with the auction rooms and bidding processes to make the interactions that consumers have pretty fun, easy to understand, and very engaging. So now that we've seen a company that is doing well at this, let's also look at a failed attempt at gamification. Coming from restructuring, I've learned firsthand how important it is to learn from mistakes and failures, to be able to fully understand decisions and get a 360 perspective on companies. So who's up on today's show and tell of a failure? Google News. Not a horribly big deal because Google News is part of a greater entity of Google, but it's a good learning lesson for how a blanket and unpersonalized approach to gamification could not only be ineffective, but also deteriorate from a brand value and lead to negative backlash. So Google News launched collectible badges for reading news stories, which created a lot of issues that Google didn't really think through. The badges that you garnered from just reading news articles didn't actually represent anything. In application, you didn't actually need to finish a news article or share it or do anything to get the badges. Just click on the link. 
this was catered towards the broader entity of Google. It was just to really promote clickbait and just this rate of just clicking on these different links and just promote Google as a whole rather than actually have a value add to the consumer or the company. So this actually, to some extent, made users upset because now by using Google News, they felt actually more ostracized and didn't even want the badges displaying their browsing browsing or reading habits to the public. So using what we know from a company that has proven to be doing well at capitalizing on this trend and learning from the mass blanket approaches that don't work, shout out Google News, let's talk about some up-and-coming companies that are well-positioned to benefit from this trend as it evolves. Okay, so up first, Myro. It's a reusable deodorant brand, and it's similar to other refillable deodorant companies like By Humankind, but this focuses on having an app in which customers can actually pick and choose which fra- fragrances it wants to have in its eco-friendly deodorant. So, well, my personal favorite is a scent called Spa Day, which has salt air, lavender, and cypress. But more on the product, the circular stick combined with the razor razor blade model is also focusing on eco-friendly packaging and reuses a lot of its materials, which makes it an interesting company to look out for because not only is it paying attention and capitalizing on this trend of eco-friendly, less plastic waste trends, but it's also integrating this gamification app, mobile app-driven engagement with its customers. So again, it's similar to Buy Humankind, so it'll be interesting to see how it differentiates itself within this market in this refillable deodorant aspect, but it is a spotlight for a company that is looking to make personalization and gamification an integral part of their product. So a second company that I think could be interesting to watch is a company called Peanut. It's a community forum by women and for women to talk openly and confidently about all topics ranging from motherhood to fertility to menopause. This company falls under two things that I've been looking at lately. And Not to derail from the main focus of the podcast, but I want to take a hot minute to talk about this trend of upcoming companies that are filling the white space of consumer advocacy. So that might not be the best way to phrase it, but basically it's just saying that as consumers start to advocate for themselves and destigmatize previously uncomfortable topics, such as menopause, companies will have a unique opportunity to provide solutions for this emerging white space. This is partly fueled by mission-driven founders who started these companies to solve their own issues and then recognized that it would help others as well. So anyways, bringing it back to Peanut, which also, side note, again, (laughs) if you're interested, there is a great podcast by The Big Move in which they actually interview Michelle Kennedy, who's the founder of Peanut, and kind of delves into and gives a different perspective to understand how this app came about and how they're thinking about solutions and growth and initial inhibition to talking openly about these topics, etc. So yes, this app is cool, but not only because of the accessibility to other resources and topics and education that it provides to women, but also the way that its UI is set up. So this company really made a millennial gamification app tailored towards women in the best way possible. In the the podcast that I mentioned previously, actually Michelle talks about how she felt when Times labeled the app as a Tinder for women. She originally saw it as a littling way to talk about the app, but 
I personally think it exemplifies this very targeted approach to making women's health education more casual and just something that you can openly talk about and explore without having to open up incognito mode when you're home alone. This is gamification heightened because not only is it allowing for consumers to stay engaged and interact with the platform, which inherently will increase customer stickiness and create a strong community and cult following, but it also inadvertently feeds into the app's general purpose of destigmatizing and removing the taboo around these certain topics. Those were two companies that I think could be interesting to monitor and see how they evolve with the general gamification trend and also how their eventual performance and consumer reactions pan out. Now that we've talked about the gamification of the consumer retail space in general and a few relevant companies, I really want to take the discussion one step further and talk about the blur of the actual just video games and luxury brands. So odd, I know, but during the first week of August, Louis Vuitton and Burberry entered into the world of NFTs, which stands for non-fungible tokens, through video games. Its built-in consumer base is easing the transition towards digital items of value. So, let's talk about it. Burberry plans to introduce its first NFT through a collab with a, an entity called Blanco's Block Party, it, but they tend to facilitate this collab through offering both character NFTs and also accessory NFTs. That's the Burberry side, and then Louis Vuitton released that it plans to award its first NFTs to players of the Louis the Game, a new game that was created as part of its 200th anniversary celebration. Okay, wait. I know what you're thinking. Louis has a game? Yes, they do. And apparently, people love it. So, according to some of the users of this game, the game is an app that is an adventure similar to The Legend of Zelda, in which you're able to jump, run around, and collect items along the way. You can also customize your character or avatar with different Louis Vuitton monogram prints and colorways. The best part of this app, or the most, I guess, strategic part in my mind, is that in the process of playing this game, you actually learn about LV's history by collecting postcards and other memorabilia. So there are actually 30 NFTs embedded throughout the game that you can collect and only find in this game. And once you find them, they actually can't be sold. This is a very strategic move for LV to also tap into the younger Gen Z generation. this audience by creating a challenge that everyone can be a part of but doesn't really require you to make this luxurious purchase this in my mind is a great way to introduce the brand to new customers and invite them just to be part of the lv universe so in my mind i think that these luxury brands are teaming up with the gaming industry to kind of experiment with nfts because the digital space already has a captive audience and is a relatively safe space for these companies to operate and experiment in Although, they do rely on the expertise of the game developers, but that's probably just uh, something to be expected as you try to capitalize and get engaged on these new trends that are up up and coming so fast. But the free and low-value fiat purchase NFTs integrated within an existing video game platform are a pretty risk-adverse way for these companies to dip their toes into the NFT world without the risk of going all in with paid NFTs and investing too heavily on a concept that has still a lot of legal and storage issues. This release method is a strategic rollout strategy that removes a lot of these associated risks and instead allows these companies to operate within the confines of a tried and tested environment.
This space also reduces the need for education because as these luxury brands try to cater to this new generation or audience, they don't have to educate them on the actual technology or how to place value on these digital-only products because the, di- the generation that they're trying to cater and tap into is the one running the show of this trend. So that's luxury brands and their NFTs. But also, these brands are starting to make actual appearances in popular video games as well. Balenciaga and Epic Games partnered for Fortnite's first luxury fashion collaboration. This uh, A quote of an, an article that I was reading about this said that the ongoing courtship between luxury brands and the gaming world took another step through this partnership, which I think is a really interesting way to think about this relationship and its development. So I've never really been a big video game fan, but even I know what Fortnite is. It was launched in 2017 and has truly turned into a cultural phenomenon of sorts with over 400 million users across the globe. This company has gone well beyond the traditional boundaries of video games and has links to the music world, sports world, and now luxury fashion. So Balenciaga has designed four virtual outfits, or quote, skins, as the kids call it these days. So I did a little research, and actually Balenciaga's partnership with Epic Games didn't originally start with Fortnite. Balenciaga actually launched their own video game called Afterworld, in which they used Epic Games' proprietary 3D design technology. So, it's really no shock that a luxury retailer thought to collab with Fortnite to reach new audiences. After Travis Scott's virtual concert on Fortnite attracted 45 million viewers, it only made sense. And I'll admit, I did watch that performance and it was pretty sick. So, Afterworld, which was Balenciaga's launched video game, launched in 2020 and basically offers a dystopian Balenciaga world with photorealistic outfits. So for the non-gamers, how Fortnite or other video games go about buying skins and accessories, they have a virtual currency called V-Bucks. These V-Bucks are what the gamers use to buy accessories, skins, and emotes, which I guess from reading Reddit is they're, they're basically actions that the avatars or characters can perform. But for, for context, the Balenciaga skins are priced at 1,000 V-Bucks, which equates to about $8. This is actually a pretty interesting and strategic play by Balenciaga because this price is seemingly accessible to all players, especially the younger players who they're now trying to tap into. This Fortnite collab combined with the game Afterworld shows a very strong trend and increasing emphasis on making the metaverse an integral part of not only Balenciaga strategy, but just luxury brands in general. Epic Games also benefits from this collab because it is able to bring attention to Unreal Engine, which is their real-time 3D design and developmental software. It started in gaming, good, but could potentially have applications in other facets such as architecture, film, and fashion. This software or product called Unreal Engine allows for users to have a 3D virtual world in real time. It's a, it's a relatively new concept, but for sure something that is quickly evolving and something to keep a lookout for. And this is also making its way to the physical world by having a physical 3D billboard, um, which you might have seen in Times Square, but Balenciaga had one of a physical 3D billboard of the Balenciaga collab. And 
I, I want to share an anecdote and it will expose something I'm not proud of, but I did personally see this billboard recently in Times Square, which is really cool and actually drove home the impact that this emerging tech could have for passer buyers. But yes, it, it does expose that I was in Times Square recently, and as an aspiring New Yorker, it's not that cool. But going forward, what might be cool is if these luxury retail companies and other fashion companies start to use these tech platforms as consumer testing to launch new styles or gauge reactions to prototypes. Because really, this would be a very cost-effective way to reach a large audience and easily iterate based on feedback. Also, maybe these companies release different apparel and pieces and see how the people actually run with them. Maybe capitalize on the creativity of the gamer community and see how they pair things or think about fashion. Well, and there you have it, folks. That's a wrap for today. As a a little recap on today's episode, we talked about the general gamification trend and kind of what that looks like for individual companies and just as a business strategy in general. We looked at a few case studies of companies that are doing well, companies that did not do so well, and also a few companies to be on the lookout for that could be integrating gamification in a very strategic and well-positioned way for the future. And then finally, we talked about the luxury brand market and their integration with the actual video games and what that looks like today and potentially tomorrow. So that's all I've got for you guys. And again, thank you so much to all my listeners out there and stay tuned for the next episode.